Good morning, everybody. Uh, today starts a uh, four-week season on the themes of Advent. Uh, we're going to do hope, peace, joy. I'm going to guess the other one is love, but I'm really not sure. So I drew hope. And uh, hope is a difficult thing to understand. If you read the scriptures about hope, where hope is mentioned, and you take the definition that our society uses with hope, and you insert that, oftentimes the passages just plain don't make sense. We need to sort this out because hope is critical yet little understood in our life. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that hope, faith, and love are the three things that will abide, the three marks of Christian character. Romans 5, verses 2 through 6, Paul talks about investing our suffering and then through that investment, gaining hope. Hope touches our existence day by day and moment by moment, whether we realize it or not. Our need for hope and the, the role that it plays in our life is not too noticeable until hope is gone. We can fail to notice its presence, yet we are crushed by its absence. The old saying goes, one can live 30 days without food, three days without water, three minutes without air, and three seconds without hope. Hope can be a powerful tool. Like most tools, it can be used for great good or cause terrible damage. Uh, in his book, Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants, Dr. Paul Brand talks about how patients could endure uh, considerable pain as long as they knew, as long as they had a reasonable hope that the pain would end at some time in the future. At the same time, sociological studies have shown that in the US prison system, one of the most negative effects is the fact that it creates a culture of hopeless people, which contributes significantly to the recidivism rate. Once in the criminal culture, people believe that they cannot get out of the criminal culture. They become hopeless. As Christians, citizens of God's kingdom, and examples of his character to those around us, we must understand the distinction between worldly hope, the way that the world uses the, the word hope now, and biblical hope. We must be conscious of the hope that we rely on, avoiding the disappointment of baseless hope and taking strength and focus from the sure hope available to us in Christ. This morning, I hope we're going to answer three questions. What is the difference between hope as understood by the world around us and hope as the word is used in the biblical narrative? What do the scriptures say about hope and what is the role of hope in the Christian life? 
When the word hope is commonly used today, it expresses a desire for something to happen, usually with a, 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 a relatively high degree of uncertainty. The stronger the desire, the greater the danger if we don't get what we hope for. Some examples would be, I sincerely hope that next Saturday we will have not miserable weather, as a matter of fact, good weather, so that I can work on my truck. That's a casual hope. I hope that happens. That's my desire. But because it's going to be the second week in December, there's a fair degree of uncertainty attached to that. I could say, I hope that I get a raise at my next performance evaluation. Again, a desire perhaps based on my perception of my worthiness, but still an uncertain thing. I could also say, I hope my children are all healthy and lead productive, prosperous lives. A desire, but perhaps also a value, something I feel is very important, and yet it is not guaranteed. The earmarks of hope as used, of the word hope as used in our culture today are my desire and an uncertainty in seeing that desire fulfilled. Hope as used in the scripture is different. Even in the secular usage in biblical times, the Hebrew word often translated hope in the Old Testament often meant trust. So those two were merged, the concept of trust and the concept of hope. In the New Testament times, again, even in secular usage, the word translated hope most often in the New Testament had a connotation of expectation of fulfillment rather than uncertainty. John Piper says this difference, says of, of this is what John Piper says. Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty in it. When the word says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect, expect great things of God. Hope, as expressed in the scriptures, is always active. It moves us to act and to change. It's not an escape from reality or from problems. It's a response to them. Hope, as used in our world today, is often passive, like wishing for something. You know, I'm, I'm really wishing for good weather next Saturday. Sometimes, hope, as expressed in our culture today, is a form of escape. I used to work with a fella uh, who, he, he bought a lot of these Powerball tickets because he had all kinds of money problems. Now, don't ask me to explain how the reasoning works here, okay? But he would go out, despite being in debt, and borrow money and take a day off from work and drive to Delaware and buy lottery tickets and come back up. I told him I didn't think that made a lot of sense. And he, his response to me was, well, 
If I win, I'll give you $100,000. Does it make sense to you now? And I said, no, it really still doesn't make any sense to me. But he had a very strong hope that he was going to win the lottery and that that was going to eliminate all his problems. And every time his assorted numbers didn't hit, he fell into discouragement, he had trouble at work, and he also owed all the money that he borrowed to buy all the tickets that didn't win. The world's hope can be an escape from reality, but biblical hope is rooted in the certainty of God's promises and his character as revealed both in the written word and his past actions. It's active, not passive, influencing actions and changing lives. So what do the scriptures say about hope? Job 5, verses 18 through 16, I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, Job recounts God's actions in frustrating the acts of the wicked and in protecting the lives of the poor. And he closes with verse, with verse 16 where it says, so the helpless have hope and unrighteousness much must shut its mouth. Based on God's actions, Job declared that the, the poor, the helpless, have a certain outcome of hope because God has already acted on their side. Romans 8, I'm sorry, hope is an expression of God's promises to us and is an integral part of the reality that we as children of God have not yet received all the benefits and blessings of our relationship with him. Romans 8, verses 23 to 25, Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not have yet, not do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is saying here that there, there is a reality. We have, we have entered into a relationship, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have entered into a relationship with God. And that relationship of God, with, with, with God is a blessing to us, but there are blessings as a part of that relationship that we do not yet experience. And he makes reference to the, the we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. We don't have the full blessing that God has promised to us as his children yet. But that blessing is a certainty. That is our hope. As he said, we wait for it patiently. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is.
We are not what we will be. Remember, as we look at the, the continuum of history, we have the paradise God created for man. We have man choosing to not fellowship with God and thereby forced to leave that paradise. And then God's work throughout the continuum of history to bring man back and to put him in the paradise that God will create for him. As citizens of the kingdom, we experience in part that life that we were originally uh, created for, but we cannot experience it fully until such time as God's kingdom is established when the Lord returns. So what we are now is not the sum total of what we will be, because when the Lord appears, we will be like him, and we should fix our hope on that day. When the troubles of this life fall away and the reality of our relationship with him is fully uh, developed. We know that, that this hope which we have received is such a great blessing, a dramatic change in who we are, that we will not naturally grasp its scope or impact. When Paul prays for the church at Ephesians, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This hope that we have received from God is so vast and so magnificent that we won't just understand it because we read about it. Paul taught the Ephesian church for two years, and yet when he prays for them, he says, I'm praying that you will grasp how broad the, the promise of God's hope is in your life and the impact that it can have. Now, this hope also makes us stand out in the world around us. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. There's a lot in this simple verse. It's one of the things I like about Peter. He was pretty much an uncomplicated guy. First of all, he says everyone who asks, which means that this hope makes such a difference in our lives that it is obvious to those around us, at home, at work, our neighbors, at school, you know, where we hang out, whatever, this hope, this life-changing hope, shows that we are different. Not only that, but it says when they ask, you know, nobody, nobody asks a, um, well, that's what happens when you go off script. Um, People ask to be like good people. They don't ask to be like bad people. So if this passage says that they're going to ask us the reason for the hope that is within us, 
That means they see something in us that they want. So this hope is life-changing, and it makes us stand out. It says that we should be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason. Those can be some pretty scary words. Don't let that bother you. Part of the task of, of the elders and your brothers and sisters in Christ is to prepare you to be able to answer that question if you can't answer it now. We look forward to working through that together as a body. It's interesting, he, he, he adds a footnote, but do this with gentleness and respect. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Not a simple passage. The author of Hebrews says that our hope is rooted in our direct access to God without the need for a mediator. We can enter the presence of God through the blood of Christ, Jesus himself is our great high priest and the sacrifice that gives us this access. Our hearts have been cleansed of guilt and our bodies purified that we can pursue righteousness in our flesh. He says we have to make a, constant, a conscious decision to fix our hope in these truths. The Lord is faithful. Knowing we have been cleansed from our guilty conscience, and are able to live righteous lives, the passage says in verse 24, let us hold on, or 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord, the day, parentheses, of the Lord, approaching. Knowing that we've been cleansed from our guilty conscience and are able to live righteous lives, we should be encouraging one another, both emotionally and practically. Romans 4, 18 and 20 talks about the contrast between the hope of the world and biblical hope. In hope against Hope he believed, speaking of Abraham, so that he might become a father of many, nation, many nations, according to that which has, had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. It says that Abraham expressed hope against hope. He recognized that if he looked at his situation one way, he was 100 years old, Sarah was past childbirth years, or childbearing years, and the promise that God made, had made him made no sense. Looking at it in the world's wisdom, the hope would be, well, that's just not going to happen. It would be an uncertain hope at best. But it says that Abraham stayed strong and persevered in his faith, choosing to believe God. And so he took God's promise 
as having more weight than the circumstances as he looked at them in the flesh. He was faced with two bases for hope, leading in two different, two different directions. Abraham put his faith, his hope, in the promises of God. The last question we want to look at today is the role of hope in the Christian life. So what difference does all this make? We've seen a couple examples of real-life impact of hope in the previous passages. We see that hope a future promise certain to be fulfilled, we have received as believers in Christ, makes us stand out in the communities in which we live and work. We should be ready to give a reason for that hope. We also see that our hope should move us to encourage one another to do good deeds and remain firm in the faith. In closing, I'd like to focus on uh, another aspect of hope on another practical impact of hope, excuse me. We get to choose our hopes. We get to choose what we will hope in and what we will hope for. While there is no problem in desiring a nice day, a promotion at work, or that our children or that our family will be healthy and prosperous. There is a potential danger in those desires. In every case, there's a degree of uncertainty. And although the Lord cares about each of these areas of our lives, and even more areas than we've mentioned, he has not promised that we will always receive the outcomes we desire. When we allow our desires to become our need, when we allow these, these worldly hopes to become a bigger piece of our emotional life than they should be, we run the risk of suffering the negative consequences of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, which reads, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but, a des but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm sure all of us want to end up on the tree of life side of these consequences. In that case, I would suggest the following steps. Consider what you hope for in light of the kingdom of God. The Lord delights to bless us, and he knows the best way to do so. There is nothing wrong with desiring a good thing, and we are encouraged to place those requests before the Lord. There's nothing wrong with asking for a new car. There's nothing wrong with any of these little hopes that we have, the wishes that we have. When I have a desire for a good thing, I ask myself how I will react if I don't receive my request. If I say that my reaction would be disappointment, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's all right to be disappointed. If I say my reaction would be anger, bitterness, hatred, envy, or any of the other negative desires or negative emotions and attitudes listed in scriptures, well then, um, it's not okay. It's not okay. If I envision those responses, I know I've let my desire become more than it should be, and I am hoping wrongly. 
to address to address what now seems to be a worldly hope. I look to the Lord, the scriptures, and the brethren to find balance and a path forward. Choosing that we will cling to the biblical hope revealed in scripture is not always a walk in the park. It is often a moment by moment struggle as the author of Hebrews says. But the effort leads to a sense of freedom, shalom peace, and joy that transcends this world and marks us out as citizens of the kingdom at home, at work, and at play. If we base our highest desires on the Lord's character as revealed in his actions and the word, on his promises, on the position he has given us as his children, we will experience the tree of life side of this proverb's predicted consequences. Now we've jumped around a bit today. So if you're only going to remember two things and you give me the privilege of choosing which two those will be, I would say remember the difference between the uncertainty of worldly hope and the certainty of biblical hope. Remember that difference. When you read the scriptures, consciously remember that the word, when they say hope, They're not talking about wishy-washy uncertainty. And then the second thing I'd like you to remember is to be careful what you hope for. Let's pray. And uh, this will also be the benediction. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity we had today to get together around your word. We thank you for the hope that you have put within us, a hope that, can tra- that will transform our lives, that can transform the world around us. A hope that is so living and vibrant that it bears fruit everywhere it goes. Help us to see with accuracy the thoughts and interests of our hearts. Help us to see where we have invested wrongly in the uncertainty of the world and help us to invest aright in the certainty of the promises of your word. I pray that we would be people who always know how to give an answer to those who are attracted by the hope that they see within us. I pray that you would bless us with a sense of your presence. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.